You're listening to Thinker's What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd, with my co-host, Alex Gary, and today, Teresa Beach-Shilo, president of Superior Joining Technologies. Teresa, welcome to the What Works podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So Superior Joining Technologies, walk us through what that means. What's, What's this joining technologies thing about? Well, if it flies, we're on it. We do precision welding, non-destructive testing, and multi-axis laser cutting for aerospace projects all over the U.S. that um, fly anywhere and go up in space. Wow. How did you get involved in that? Well, Tom wanted to start a welding business 26 years ago in our garage. Yes, my husband Mm -hmm. and um, my partner for over 40 years. And we... Decided to have a five-page quality document, even though we were in the garage, and pursue ISO and AS and NADCAP, and we've niched ourselves continually by having quality as our number one priority. Wow, whose whose concept was it to have this five-page quality document? While you're well, it wasn't me because it okay. cost a lot of money, <laughs> and um, I'm a cheapskate. But no, it's Tom. He's the visionary, and then I'm a great partner. He has ideas. I make them happen. What were you two doing before you decided to launch this? I was um, raising my daughters and working in banking, and he was. Um, n- growing his welding skills, honing them out, finding um, niche welders in a five-state area or schools and getting training. So for, for our listeners who may, may not be familiar with, uh, you know, welding, any, welding things that you know, are up in, up in the air and up in space, well, give us an example of what's something that you would weld that we, would, that we might recognize. Well, um, waste handling tanks. How's that? That's pretty basic. Yeah. But we do things with um, landing gear. But one of the most fun projects was the Hubble telescope repair. And they needed some aluminum tubing made for the outside. And it's kind of fun because then we're in all the pictures and we have that hanging in our shop. And that was a fun thing that we did. Oh, wow. What was the first big deal? So you, you you're in the, you're in the garage and you've got this document. What was the first big deal? How did you land it? What well, was fun because he had a Volkswagen Rabbit, so he drove around to tool and die shops and did weld repair either at their location or brought it home, welded it, and took it back. Took the back seat out, and that's how we were do. <laughs> that's how we were doing our our bread and butter. But um, we were quoting on assemblies. For first McDonald a McDonald Douglas product that was before they were bought by Boeing, and you had there was a long quoting time. And the first assembly that we got, um, we quoted, and we didn't get the PO for three years. In fact, um, you know the the customer that we were working with was a little concerned: were we still going to be in business three years later? Yeah. But when you quote aerospace projects, um, they're twenty year projects, and then. Um, than the um, aftermarket. So we don't really get to raise our prices. We have to be lean. We have to negotiate long-term agreements and be in long-term agreements. And so that's different than some manufacturing locally here where somebody thinks up something, uses a thousand of them, and then they never make any more. So we're, um, we had to do a long quoting cycle for all of our products, and then we're on long term projects. How long were you in the garage? About 18 months. And then we moved up to the corner of um, Harlem and Forest Hills Road when it was still a stop sign. There was a new industrial park there on the east side. And um, that's where we moved a thousand 
1,200 square feet, I guess. Oh, wow. So you moved from a garage to 1,200 square feet. And how long were you in that spot? And then mm. where, uh, where'd you move on to after that? Then we moved to 10,000 square feet. So every single time we've moved, we've gotten five times bigger. And that's what happened in 2015, too. Wow. So you mentioned something really, which I thought was really interesting right out of the gate there. You said... Uh, Tom has the ideas and you make them happen. Yes. And, and you've been partners for 40 years now. Yes. So the the, the interesting thing uh, now, my family is a family owned, uh, come, I come from a family owned business, right? And mm-hmm. they've been in business for 40 or 50 years or something like that. Awesome. And, uh, and so I know a thing uh, or two, right? About this husband and wife dynamic working together. How, Walk me, walk me through those discussions when you're, when he's setting off, he says, I'm gonna do this welding company and you're, you're in banking and dealing with a handful of children. Walk me through those discussions. What were those like? Well, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship Yeah. and um, I had come from a family that got a paycheck on Friday. So there was a lot of fear. And unfortunately, that's been my MO for (laughs) (laughs) through the years is I'm more fearful than Tom is. But um, we discuss them. He lets me say what I'm thinking. And sometimes I um, affect change or add something. And then somebody has to make the decision to go forward. So we go forward with his decision and my input. <laughs> and in, in each point, We're either hot for each other or hot against each other. Is that <laughs> okay. what you want me to say? I mean, that's the truth of it. That's how yeah. you stay married and work together. We share an office. And yeah. Yeah, we we agree a lot and we disagree a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. And every and every point, these major decisions, these kind of major jumps, you're making a five times increase. Yes. in your footprint. Yes, you know that, that's kind of an interesting thing because um, I went through Heartland. I went through things called Marriage Matters classes, and they yes. taught, and, and also went to the Dame Ramsey um, uh, course on on um, finances for couples. And they say that most couples there is a dreamer. And then the spreadsheet person, and you need one or the other. If you have two dreamers, then you guys go bankrupt, right? If you have two spreadsheet people, then you just sit around arguing over money all day. <laughs> so, in a way, do you feel like that's 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 been a perfect kind of uh, situation, or has there been some struggle where, like, he wanted to grow faster than you did? Well, it it is a struggle when you have a dreamer and and somebody holding that balloon to the ground, and um, but you just have to find ways to work it out and be comfortable and move forward. And when you make mistakes, you don't dwell on it and say, "I told you so." You just move. On. You know, everybody's in the same car, going the same direction. So. We make lots of great decisions and turn out great, and we make some decisions, and and it's it's not easy. Yeah. So you've survived two recessions at least, at least, right? What, what year did you start the company? Yes, in ninety two. Ninety two. Well, that was a recession too. That's right. So you started in a recession. <laughs> um, I was working <laughs> three the, jobs. The banker. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you started in a recession. You went through the two thousand two two thousand three recession, and then you went through the damaging one. Mm-hmm. So, we grew nineteen percent every year through that recession. Really? So what and, were the decisions beforehand that helped you grow when the rest of the business world was shrinking? It was niching ourselves with certifications and um, a wild purchase of a new piece of equipment. And when we bought that piece of equipment, there were only four in the United States, one on each coast and one in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we brought it, the other one to the Midwest. And it was a big risk. It was, um, 
you know, we were we were able to be supported be, because of our conservative spending and our, you know, relationship with you know banking and the community and the the company that was selling the piece of equipment. We were able to um, go forward and and buy that at a time when it was you know it was either going to be the greatest thing we ever did or <laughs> or we were going to go bankrupt i mean it was serious conversations but um it's turned out really well and we've grown three times since we made that move so as the person in the in kind of you, you mentioned this kind of relationship uh of sort of a yin and a yang and you need both right how did you go through that decision of it's high it's like going to be the greatest thing ever it's going to be the worst thing ever Sort of a binary decision. Well, we were looking forward to where aerospace was going. And you have to listen to the big customers. You have to read and you have to know where things are going into the future. And we knew that we were quoting parts that weren't we weren't going to get for three years, but yeah. I but was going to have a volume that made the way we were doing our business not work anymore. So we had to... Um, go ahead and move forward. And the interesting thing that the one job that we were sure was the reason that we were doing it never transpired. So that's also the interesting thing. Oh, but wow. we were, but the exciting part about adding that piece of equipment, it really upped the game on needing to market and do sales in a different way than we had done before. So all of our profit centers increased because we were doing sales and marketing in a different way than we were before. Did you plan all that out on a spreadsheet? No. How did you How did you go through this planning process? Well, I write things. You know, okay. anybody that knows me, you know, <laughs> they print out what they want me to look at because they know I'm going to write all over it. And yeah. and we did. We do make a plan. Like when we decided to hire employees, it first of all it was just Tom and I. So we wrote down all the jobs which ones were I do, doing, which ones was he doing, and then how could we um, bring someone in to do part of that. And, and you know, sometimes we brought people in too slow. We didn't bring people in fast enough. But we learned that we could bring people in through temp agencies um, as a new startup. We didn't have to pay workman's comp for them yet and that kind of thing as we were growing. And so we tried to, to partner with resources in the community that made it so that we could grow faster than we maybe could have um, just by our vo sheer volume of sales. So, yeah. How many employees are you up to now? We're up to 28, and we have one intern from Winnebago High School. So, You've been very um, involved in a, um, an effort called Women's in, Women in Today's Manufacturing. Yes. But I heard when we were at your plant a couple months ago for another event that you were kind of talking about that that hasn't really grown, that there's fewer of, there's, there's fewer Teresa Beach Shilos in manufacturing today. Was, did I mishear that or is that a trend that worries you? Well, there's fewer women in manufacturing today than there were 25 years ago. So that is the truth. And when you, um, Deloitte did a um, study on women in manufacturing, and that was one of the things that they found. And I just didn't believe that was true in Rockford. So I went to the um, EDC a few years ago, and they asked them, can you tell me how many women are in our MSA in manufacturing? And they did a, a study for me, and we're right on par with all the U.S., rather than being higher, even though 
everything that we've done to encourage women to go into manufacturing over the last 15 years since we started manufacturing camp and WOTM. We're in our 15th year as women of today's manufacturing. We consistently have about 100 members, you know, and people retire, people change jobs, people do whatever. Um, and lots of people know about us. We impact, um, we give scholarships, we do lots of things, but we have not been able to increase women in manufacturing in our community any different than across the U.S. That is disappointing to me and something that I've been working on more strategically. Um, women of today's manufacturing added committee nights, so the first Monday of the month we meet, and we're really working on education um, into the community and then education of our members and seeing if we can be more strategic and more inclusive and more give more value to what we're doing, even have, as a volunteer organization. Have you looked to, have you, have you studied what are the causes perhaps of that might be? I mean, we talk a lot about um, at the high school level, uh, kids are mostly encouraged uh, to go to college and that many of you know, the vocational schools have fallen off a bit. Although I, I understand there is some rebounding with the, to that. Absolutely, but, in the but last is, five years. Yeah, yes. so is that is that where you think the um, the issue really is at, is at the high school level? Well, I think it's perception. You know, they started something about five years ago, Manufacturing Day. We were, as a community, we're part of um, starting that, and then that's all over the U.S., mfgday.com. And um, it's about... We drive past these manufacturing facilities that maybe don't have windows or maybe are in an industrial park, and we drive by the industrial park, but we don't drive by the building. Our parents, our friends, our neighbors go to work at these facilities because 28% of our community gets their actual income from a manufacturing job. But how many of us have been into one of those facilities? And so it's about opening the doors and inspiring um, young people and people that are maybe not happy with their job, maybe underemployed, maybe undereducated, and finding a way that we can inspire them to come in and join us in manufacturing. It's, uh, it's important for our entire community. And as Sagar Patel at Woodward says, you know, the community that figures out how to make a solid workforce for manufacturing is the community that's going to win. And so many, many, many people from different directions are working on this issue for our community. So you've got 28 employees. Where do you, where have most of them come from? Have you kind of tracked over the years where you get your employees? Sure. Um, we get it from word of mouth. There, you know, many people want to come and work for Tom. He's a great, he has a great environment for them and great jobs and people want to come and work for him specifically and superior joining but we try to bring young people we um, sponsor one of the robotics teams even so far as 7,000 square feet in our building right now um, is for Rockford 2039 robotics team and they are there um, they have a Lego team they have another um, first team that's for seventh, eighth, and ninth graders. So we do as much as we can to bring young people in. We anytime somebody wants to tour, whether it's just a friend, hey, I've got a son, a cousin, a neighbor, maybe they want to see what manufacturing is, the doors open and we do an intern thing 
um, for nine to two, you can come and um, just shadow every area that we have and see what's going on. Quality, welding, non-destructive testing, shipping and receiving, purchasing, my job. So we try to show, you know, what people, people that there's many types of employment within manufacturing and what our environment's like. Otherwise, um, so some of the kids have come from the robotics teams and some of the, um, but we always try to have an 18 or 19 year old um, working for us all the time. So we're inspiring them, but we're also inspiring their friends or their family or different things like that. So speaking engagements, uh, many things. Have you people. always been so giving back to the community? I think so. When I, I was in 4-H when I was young and I got to take leadership training, it it was in, it inspired my life all through the years. And I got to hear people speak when I was young about making a difference one person at a time. And I believe it. I've read those kind of books. I've read every biography of every president. I, you know, and if you read what kind of people they were or why they did things or change it you know wasn't all this you know social media that we have today <laughs> i mean people really came to to government and service with the heart of wanting to inspire um change or affect something and i just believe that that can happen one person at a time just like sherry down at the rockford rescue mission you know she's changing people's lives one person at a time and she came up with a way to do that and she's successful so how can i help just for our listeners she's talking about sherry pitney of the rockford rescue mission that's correct as a presidential history buff there you some, are a presidential yes, history there buff. Are, yes I, I applaud the fact you found biographies and there's hard it's hard to find and some of them are pretty bad I mean, finding a good biography on like Grover Cleveland. I didn't say it has to be good, but I, <laughs> but I think you know, in different generals and that. I think I love it, and um, the fun thing is, I have grandkids age nine to fourteen, mm -hmm. and I, I'll in the summer I'll pay them ten bucks a book for any one of those kind of books that they read. Oh, so if they want to get some cash, my son-in-laws don't like me handing out cash, so I have to find a way to do it. So, <laughs> so um, they can read about real American. American history battles and that kind of thing, or um, biographies of American um, people. I just think that we just aren't talking to each other about why, how we got here, you know, and what what the United States is, what our country is. That so. seems to be a pretty pretty big uh, uh, part of who you are. You mentioned earlier that you, you know the, the idea of reading. You got to read a lot to stay ahead in business, and you got to figure out what's coming next. And so it sounds like you're reading reading the past, maybe to learn lessons for today, and then you're reading about today to understand where we are. And but you're, you're reading to understand where we're at, where we're where we're headed, and then you're making decisions, business decisions, maybe life decisions to understand how you're going to shift things, sort of strategically, uh, into the future. Is that fair? If you see? can read, you can do anything. And I really don't have any special training. I'm, there's nothing special about Tom or I. We've just um, partnered with as many smart people as we could, read as much as we could. You know, I know that I, I got my first house by reading a paragraph in the newspaper that was like one inch by one inch. And, you know, it was some program that I wouldn't have had to have a down payment. And so... I go, well, I think I qualify for that. And I read about it and did it and made it happen. And so that I think that there's those kind of resources. People 
have to look for answers for themselves. What's interesting is it's easier than ever to find that kind of information. And yet you still run into people who are paralyzed when they have to do some research, right? Because everything's a click away. But instead of going in and finding that stuff, they get lost in social media or YouTube or something like that. Well, the fun thing about reading is it helps you connect the dots. And so any kind of research, you have to apply it in a way that makes an impact in what you're doing or the lives of other people. And so, um, you know, if you're just reading to have knowledge to make everybody feel stupid around you, that's that's not the purpose. It's It's for finding the way to solve problems in your own life. And with what we do is we solve problems at superior joining. So if we, everything had to be cut and dried or um, just a little, you know, everything's the same cookie cutter every time, that's not our business. We'll do onesie, twosies, solving problems that, you know, when we did that Hubble telescope repair, the engineer called and says, for a year I've been trying to get this quoted. Nobody will quote it. So Tom said, well, let me look at it. And then he was able to say, well, if you did this, it would make it weldable. You know, a year later, maybe the engineer's better at listening to that. Maybe somebody had said that to him a year right. ago. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but often that's the case. When people yeah. come to us, they're sufficiently... Um, you know, their regular means of solutions are not working. And so we're problem solving in a, in the most intricate way that we can on, you know, <laughs> maybe we would have been smarter to do more cookie cutter things because it's hard to always come up with a new solution. But that's, that's what we're doing. And that's the kind of people that we have working for us up in the office and that we're training young people to, you know, push the envelope and keep clicking till we find the answer. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. So we're in, in the, uh, I guess, the growth revolution of superior joining technologies. You have been at this for a while. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you read from the past and you kind of study the present and you're looking to the future, how do you plan a successful transition uh, either by choice or, you know, not necessarily your personal choice. Well, you, we want it to be that? a choice. Yeah, You know, sure. the future has to be a choice. Yeah. You know, if something tragic happens, I've had tragedy in my life. My daughters know that payroll on Friday is the number one. You know, if something happens to dad and I, they have, they, they have a list of people. We've brought partners together. So if something happened to Tom or I, we have... We aren't going, oh, we don't have a will. We don't have a plan. You know, right. you know. I've had tragedy in my life, unexpected. So we have a very, very definite plan of what happens if, if something tragic happens. But what if something fun happens? Like we yeah. want to build a house and quit working or make art or right. do whatever. You know, um, so far, uh, our friends are all retiring and we have no intention of retiring. We have too many fun ideas. There's one more technology that we don't have, and Tom's been wanting it for three years. I've been trying to get it to him for three years, and we're definitely not going to retire till we get to do that and see it to fruition. But um, we do. We are um, co- getting coaching um, for how to transition. In fact, we. You know, we're looking at maybe having some new leadership. Maybe it wouldn't be us. 
maybe we would do jobs differently. So we are looking at all those kinds of transition things already so that we um, make a good plan for our company. Um, when we were just doing weld repair and doing some um, jobs that were going to end, we said, well, we'll just sell everything and have a pizza party. That was our exit <laughs> strategy. And so right. we were investing yeah. in doing other things. Yeah. But once we bought the big machine in 09 and changed the trajectory of the company really and made it something that would be sellable because you know we forget that entrepreneurs maybe forget that they maybe own a job and not a business (laughs) totally so we owned a job for a long time and then we've created but you knew it was a job we did totally yes we did not you know we just saw too many people in that downturn recession you know that had just sold their job to their children and you know it was like putting a big rock around their neck and throwing them in the rock river. I, we just weren't going to do that to anybody. But we have tried to come up with a company that is viable into the future, and that's what we're trying to lead and transition into. So that's what we're trying to do. So when you look back on all these years, if you can, maybe, maybe, maybe think about how different is the company now from what maybe you had envisioned and when, as, how, you know, because people see a vision off in the future, right? And and some people are just kind of piecing that vision together. And then sometimes we talk to people who are like, I have no idea where this is going. And every year is a little different. And, and it's mm-hmm. become this magical thing that I didn't expect. Where, where are you at, Matt? Well, we started doing tool and eye repair, you know, and that business went to China, quite a bit of it. So we had, to, we've had to reinvent ourselves several times. And that's all Tom's vision to be able to do that, because I'm just going back to, you know, my fear factor. And um, now we're starting to see what we would like to have as a company um, in five to 10 years that would be different than what we have as far as um, depth of personnel, depth of Um, customer base and things like that and so we're really working towards that and that's completely different than we were than what we were doing before and honestly we're looking for a product um, line too so that would be something that would bring a different dynamic to the company and we have floor space for that to grow in too and so we're looking for those kind of things so lots of changes we're not done changing and we're not done growing. So we're not retiring. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so we should schedule you for a podcast like in three years. I just, I'll just It'd put be it fun. on the Google, yeah. Google calendar and we'll just send the invite out three years from now. Come on back. See what's going on. <laughs> I hope I have that machine that we want. So and hopefully hope we're so doing I'm some so new things. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. Well, Teresa, thanks so much for being on the What Works podcast. Uh, I've heard so much about Superior Joining Technologies. I've been there a couple of times uh, and know people who are connected to you. And so it's, it's, it's great to speak with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, guys.